If you guys don't know me, my name is David. I am on staff here at Severn, and uh, today I get the honor of actually uh, kicking off a new series for us. And um, basically, uh, the name of this series is Remember, and uh, we're going to spend the next five weeks uh, remembering uh, things about God that I think if we remember them, if we can really live in light of them, uh, they would uh, be able to encourage us even in the most uh, discouraging of times. And, uh, and that's really the whole goal behind this series, is uh, we want you to be encouraged. So um, hopefully that's something that um, is encouraging to you as we go through this. But uh, I think that, you know, the, the fact of the matter is we, uh, we can never get too much encouragement. Most people aren't walking around too encouraged. And, uh, and I think recently in our lives it's been more obvious than ever, you know, for every reason we can think of, uh, that people's lives are just heavier. Our lives are weightier. Uh, when you really get to talk to somebody and find out how their lives have been going, uh, it's usually that they, they could use some encouragement. So that's our goal for the next five weeks. And uh, the, the five things we'll be looking at, the five benefits of God that we'll be remembering for the next five weeks, um, they're not just random. We actually um, are pulling them right out of the beginning of Psalm 103, uh, the first five verses of that. We're not going to preach out of Psalm 103, uh, but this is basically just to, to show you where these things are coming from. This is really the anchor text behind the whole series. I'm going to read that to you real quick on the front end here so you can kind of see what's coming your way. Um, so this is the beginning of Psalm 103. <clears throat> it says, My soul praise Yahweh. And all that is within me, praise his holy name. My soul, praise the Lord, and do not forget all his benefits. So again, do not forget. This is what we do. These are the five things we'll be talking about. He forgives all your sin. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with goodness. I think it's a pretty encouraging list, and uh, what we'll be doing over the next five weeks is looking at each of those things one at a time, and we'll be doing that by picking a, a story out of the Bible that really drives down into that idea, and it really puts that idea on display for us. Uh, so, for example, today, we're going to look at that first thing on the list there, which was that he forgives all your sin. And we'll look at three things that we need to remember about God's forgiveness, uh, that if we do remember them and actually live in light of them, um, I really do believe it gives us a freedom uh, unlike anything else, and where you, a freedom you can't find anywhere else. And to do that, we'll actually be in a story out of Luke 23. This is where we'll be preaching out of today. Uh, we're going to do it by looking at probably the most shocking uh, example of forgiveness uh, that I can think of in the Bible. We're going to look at the story of the, the criminal on the cross next to Jesus. So I'm going to read this passage. It's, it's Luke 23. Uh, we'll be in verses 32 through 43. I'll read through the whole thing, and then, and then we'll, we'll get going. <clears throat> Two other criminals were also led away to be executed with him, him being Jesus. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching, and even the leaders kept scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, If you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, Don't you even fear God, since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly, because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
So what we have here is just an incredible account of something that took place during Jesus' crucifixion. You know, you have everybody mockingly, sarcastically, uh, just kind of saying to Jesus, hey, if you're really the chosen one, save yourself. If you're really the king, save yourself. But then you have this one criminal who, by his own admission, is justly receiving the death penalty, just asks Jesus to remember him. And in the blink of an eye, Jesus forgives everything this man ever did. And this actually brings us to the first, uh, the first thing we need to remember about God's forgiveness, and that's number one. It's the capacity of God's forgiveness. So maybe you've thought of this question before. Maybe someone's asked it to you before or you've wrestled with it. Uh, but just the question of how much sin can God forgive? And again, what we just saw in this story is a pretty shocking answer to that question. Because again, you have this guy by his own admission. He's on death row. He's not saying I'm innocent. He's not saying this isn't right. He's saying I deserve this. I'm being justly punished. And we don't know exactly what he did or why he's up there, but, but he knew and Jesus knew. And yet Jesus' response to him is, I assure, you, I assure you, today you'll be with me in paradise. So, to answer that question, you know, how much sin can God forgive? The capacity of God's forgiveness is at least enough to forgive an entire lifetime of sin. <laughs> Which, if you think about it, I don't know how you could sin more than that. <laughs> Unless you're a cat. Cats can sin nine times more than that. And that is, you know, we don't have a cat in my house. But... Uh, but I don't know how you could sin more than that, you know, an entire lifetime of sin. But it doesn't even stop there because you actually see Jesus, we, you saw him say this earlier in the, in the passage, talking about those who were actively murdering him. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. So he can even forgive those who are actually killing him, which goes to show not only can he forgive a lifetime of sin, but he can forgive what we would consider to be like the most atrocious of sins, such as murdering the innocent son of God. And if, if God can forgive someone who deserves the death penalty, and if God can forgive people who are actively murdering him, then he can forgive you. And I want to talk to maybe two different mindsets, or maybe, maybe two different people. You could technically fall into to both of these mindsets at different times or different minutes of the day. But, uh, but maybe you're more like the criminal in the sense that you're somebody who is all too aware, maybe painfully aware of all your shortcomings and all your sin, you feel like you're too far gone. Maybe you're driven by guilt and shame. <clears throat> Maybe you struggle with a certain sin that has become taboo in the Christian world so that it's worse than all the other sins. You know, maybe you're this, just someone who struggles with that. And I would just want to point out to you that what we see in this example here, in this story of the criminal, is that you cannot out God's grace. Like your sin isn't big enough to be more than his grace. And we have sins, I mean, that, mean, that includes your, you know, we have sins we can kind of think that like they stretch the capacity of God's forgiveness, you know. But this shows us that God can forgive your sexual sin. He can forgive your pride. He can, he can forgive your greed. He can forgive the things that you've said and done, maybe to your own kids that you, you just live in shame over. He can forgive those because you can't outsin God's grace. And whenever you forget that, you need to remember the criminal. Remember this example that's in the Bible for a very specific reason. But secondly, maybe you're more like the crowd in this story. And what I mean by that is maybe you're not really aware of your need for forgiveness. And I think we all fall into this category to a degree. I don't think any of us are perfectly aware of how badly we need forgiveness. But you can see by the way Jesus talked about the crowd. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That means they had no idea they needed forgiveness. So you can know this is you if, you know, we're saying, hey, we want to encourage you. And we're talking about forgiveness and it's not that encouraging to you. That you can know you kind of fall into this crowd if it's, you know, you don't really feel like you've used up much of the capacity of God's forgiveness. You're like, I've got rollover minutes. You know, my, my brother can use those. I have extra capacity. You can, 
And, and maybe a way to think of this is, well, I guess to point out, you know, if <clears throat> the, the idea of forgiveness is never going to be encouraging to you if you don't think you need it. For example, if a new law came out tomorrow that all debt in the United States was forgiven, regardless of what that debt was for, if you have been very frugal and have no debt, that's not exciting to you. It probably makes you really mad. <laughs> You're like, why have I been frugal all these years? But in, the, in reality, when it comes to sin, none of us are that person who has no debt. And I think um, it's important to, to point out, the reason I think that um, maybe in our society it's easy to fall into that category of the crowd is we live in a society that's kind of tried to deal with the idea of guilt, not with forgiveness, with it being forgiven, but with trying to, to say there's no such thing as an overarching moral law. We just get rid of guilt saying, you haven't broken any rules, there is no guilt. And the only problem with that is while we might feel less guilty nowadays than maybe in the past people felt about certain actions, we still haven't gotten rid of our shame. And a pastor named Tim Keller kind of helped me understand the difference between guilt and shame. You know, guilt kind of surrounds I've, the idea of I've done something wrong, like I've broken a rule. But the idea of shame is there's something wrong with me, with who I am. So it's I am something wrong. And the way you can kind of tell that we, we have maybe gotten rid of this idea of guilt, where we, you know, there's no such thing as sin, just do, do what looks best in your eyes, just don't hurt anybody, you know, so we don't feel guilty, but we still have the shame. You can see this in our society because we try so hard and we strive so hard to fill in that, that feeling of inadequacy by either trying to achieve all kinds of levels of success or earn the respect of people around us and just really trying to justify our existence through, you know, all kinds of various means. But the problem is, even though we might not feel as guilty as a culture, we have just as much insecurity, just as much anxiety, if not more, than ever. And if, you know, why is that? And I, and I would say the reason for that is we have a shame that is due to our sin that we cannot be rid of apart from the forgiveness of God. So basically, to kind of wrap this idea up, whether you feel too far gone or far too good for God's forgiveness, we need to remember that God forgives all your sin. And we need to remember that it's available to, to us in a way that can actually incapacitate our shame, unlike anything else can. It can, make you to, it can make you into a type of person who whenever you fail, you actually run to God instead of away from him because you don't have this shame that you're dealing with because you've recognized the capacity of God to forgive. And it can turn you into somebody who's able to forgive both yourself and other people around you because if God's not holding on to this, you know, how can I still hold on to this? But I think there's a, there's a very um, important question that we need to answer when it comes to this idea of forgiveness and when it comes to this forgiveness of this criminal. Because imagine, or remember, this, this criminal had said by his own admission, hey, I deserve this. This is, I'm being justly punished. So imagine you're at the crucifixion of Jesus, but you're not there to see Jesus crucified. You're actually there to see justice carried out on this criminal. Because whatever he did in his lifetime, it impacted you. Maybe he killed somebody you loved. Maybe he stole your livelihood and endangered your life and your family's lives. But needless to say, you're there to see justice carried out. And then you overhear this conversation between, between Jesus and the criminal. And you hear Jesus say, I assure you, today you'll be with me in paradise. How would that hit you? You know, you would say, you'd, you'd be like, what? You know, this isn't justice. He doesn't deserve forgiveness. He just said he deserves the death penalty. He shouldn't be in paradise. I mean, where's the justice in that? And that actually brings me to the second thing that we need to remember about God's forgiveness. That's number two. It's the cost of God's forgiveness. Because in reality, uh, that would kind of be a pretty unjust story if it wasn't for the fact 
that at the very moment that Jesus was forgiving the sins of the criminal, he was paying the price for the crimes. So what we see in this story is both the extreme freeness of God's forgiveness and that it's available to literally everybody, but we're also seeing the extreme cost of it and that Jesus had to pay the price himself. And this is just how forgiveness works. You know, imagine that your friend, you know, a really good friend, loaned you $10,000. When you you know, came on some hard times, he loans you $10,000 and with the expectation you're going to pay him back. But then times get even harder, and because he's an awesome friend, he says, hey, I forgive you. You don't have to pay me back. Does that forgiveness mean that nobody lost $10,000? Like, no, your friend is out ten grand <laughs> because that's how forgiveness works. And forgiveness, the forgiver pays the debt. And that's exactly what we see Jesus doing here in this story. And the reason that this aspect of God's forgiveness is so important for us to remember is because when we remember the capacity of God's forgiveness, you know, that can bring some relief. We're like, okay, good. I can't out God's grace. But when we remember the cost of God's forgiveness, it'll transform us into a type of person who would never want to try to out God's grace out of love for the forgiver. Because when you see this love on display, that not only are we forgiven, but it, and it's, it's not just some willy-nilly forgiveness. It's a, it's a costly forgiveness. Jesus was willing to lay down his life for us. And we see that love on display. It'll take our, our focus off of us and off of our circumstance onto this person, showing this incredible amount of love to us. It takes our eyes off the benefit of God onto like the giver of the benefit. Because when you see here, that you see the criminal makes a request of Jesus, and it's a, it's a pretty interesting one. He, he doesn't say, get me off this cross. He says, remember me. And Jesus' response is, you'll be with me in paradise. I, he says, yes, I will remember you. And he says, you'll be with me today in paradise. And I just would um, ask the question, when you hear the phrase, you'll be with me today in paradise, what part of it sounds good to you? Is it paradise or is it with me? Because whenever we recognize and we remember the cost of God's forgiveness, it will change us into a person who recognizes that what we need most is not a change in our circumstances. What we need most is to be with Jesus. We need a relationship with our creator, with God. And we recognize that paradise is only paradise because Jesus is there. <laughs> and what's incredible is whenever you are a Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus, he's not just with you when you die. He's with you always. He's with you now. And, and basically, when we recognize this aspect of, of God's forgiveness, it can change us into the type of person who can say, like the Apostle Paul, that I count everything as loss with the compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. But uh, there's something else I think um, worth considering whenever we're looking at this story, you know, the story of the criminal. And what that is is just a simple question of, okay, what did this guy's life look like after he got forgiven? After, after he became a Christian, what did his life look like? And the answer is not much. You know, he lived for a few more hours and then he died. So what that means is he had no opportunity to live in light of this forgiveness. He had no opportunity to pay God back for the grace he'd received. He had no opportunity to, you know, store up some crowns for himself in heaven. And this actually brings me to the third, the last thing I want to point out as far as, you know, what we need to remember about God's forgiveness. And that's number three, it's the completeness of God's forgiveness. You know, it's not an accident that this story is in the Bible. I, don't, I can't think of any other example, maybe you have some, but at least in my opinion, I can't think of any other example that gives us a better picture of just the incredible nature of what the gospel is. And that our forgiveness, our salvation, 
is 100% dependent on Jesus and 0% dependent on us. You know, all we really bring to the table is the sin that needs to be forgiven. And when we remember this completeness, because again, this might not be something you've never heard. This, this series is called Remember, not Check Out Something New. But when we actually remember this in the sense that we live in light of it, it's actually a reality that impacts the way we live our lives, then we will actually have a freedom that I think you know, is, is really unsurpassed. And I want to just kind of point out three different maybe implications. Okay, if, if we remember this, what are the implications of that if regarding our freedom? And, and I hope that this speaks to at least the, most, the, most, the majority in this room, the majority listening online. You know, so we'll have three different ideas as far as what this freedom can look like. And, uh, and they're kind of different, hit on different ideas of that freedom so that hopefully most of you under, can understand some aspect of this. So first... Whenever we remember the completeness of God's forgiveness, uh, you're free from the fear of failure. You know, whenever you know that God's forgiveness, your standing in life, your identity is already secure because of what Jesus has done, you really have a freedom from failure, or from the fear of failure. You, will, you can still experience it, but you're free from the fear of it. And I think, you know, just to kind of get very ground-level practical, I think one of the reasons that so much, so much exhaustion exists in us right now and so much discouragement exists in, in us right now is how many, like, life-changing decisions you have to make every day now, where every decision is the most important decision ever, and we live in this fear and anxiety of making the wrong one. And there absolutely is a way to make wrong decisions, and this isn't some, like, you're free to do whatever you want, just make stupid decisions. <laughs> you know, this, what this is is the reality that we can make wise decisions and do our very best without the fear or being paralyzed by the fact of what if this doesn't work out? Because even if you fail at something you've attempted to do or a decision you made is the wrong decision, that does not change the fact that you're forgiven. And if God can forgive all our sins, how much more could he forgive you for making a wrong decision? I don't know if that encourages you. That encourages me even with something as simple as deciding what to say from the stage on a Sunday morning. It's like, what if I choose to say the wrong thing? And it, again, it doesn't, mean we, there's, it doesn't mean there's not onus on us to make wise decisions, but it frees us from that fear. We're not paralyzed. We're free to actually try things, to do things that are outside our comfort zone, to do things that, to love people in a way that might make us feel uncomfortable. And even if they don't work out, that does not change the fact that you're forgiven because it's not contingent on your performance. It's contingent on what Jesus has already done. So first, you're free, you're free from the fear of failure. Uh, secondly, you're free from the, the need of people's approval or the approval of others. <clears throat> First, this, you know, means that you're free of how you think of yourself. Because again, I think many of us are great at beating ourselves up. Maybe we feel like we have to beat ourselves up in order to pay God back for what he's done for us. But Jesus was already beaten up in your place. And that means that you don't need to do it to try to earn his love or earn his grace or pay him back for what he's done. But not only that, you're free from what other people think about you, from needing their approval. I think the Apostle Paul said this best in uh, 1 Corinthians 4. He said, It is of little importance to me that I should be evaluated by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even evaluate myself, for I am not conscious of anything against myself, but I am not justified by this. The one who evaluates me is the Lord. And what he's saying is, hey, it's not really important to me how I'm evaluated by people, and actually, even though I don't know anything wrong against myself, that's not what I'm justified by. He says, I'm evaluated by God. And he knew that he was justified by what Jesus had done. 
And again, what this means isn't that you can be a jerk and say, I don't care what people think or what anyone says to me. It's not, it's not a, a get out of jail free card to be, jerked, to be a jerk to people. This should actually make you the most open and receptive person in the world to criticism and feedback ever. Because of the fact that you know you're completely forgiven, not that you're completely perfect, there's a big difference there. <laughs> you're not completely perfect yet, so you can receive feedback, you can receive input, and you won't be sh completely shaken and rattled by it or crushed by it if someone does provide criticism to you. And you won't feel the need to self-justify because of the fact that you know you've already been justified by somebody else. His name is Jesus. And the last thing that I wanted to, uh, to point out as far as this freedom is that you're free from hopelessness. I mean, you look at this criminal's life, it looks about as hopeless as it can get. And for any of us, if our future or our hope is contingent on our performance, I'll just tell you right now, that is a hopeless life. If it's contingent on us, that is hopeless. But whenever he says, remember me, Jesus says he will. And just think about how amazing, what an amazing hope that would be for this guy on death's door. And what an amazing hope that is for you and for me as we go through this life and we face different situations that seem hopeless, that seem like there's nothing for us in them. Think of how amazing, of, and it's not a hope in like a wishful thinking kind of hope. Jesus said, I assure you. You know, hope in a biblical sense is an assurance of what's going to take place. And he says, Jesus said this same thing in, in Matthew 10, 32. He said, everyone who will acknowledge me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. So what he's saying is that when, when you stand before God at the end of your life, if you put your faith in Jesus, that not only will you be forgiven, completely forgiven, not only will you be remembered, but Jesus will recognize you and call you out by name and say, that one's mine. So we can have this hope that regardless of how things go in this life, regardless of your circumstances, you can know that you will never be forgotten in Jesus. And we have a freedom from hopelessness and from despair. So to, to recap these three main ideas about what we need to remember, we need to remember the capacity of God's forgiveness. Let that, you know, make, let that shut down your shame. Let it incapacitate your shame, knowing that you can't outsin God's grace and run to him instead of away from him when you fail. And we need to remember the cost of God's forgiveness. And let that stir your love for God like nothing else will, seeing the way that he loves you enough to pay the price for your forgiveness. And we need to remember the completeness of God's forgiveness. Let that you know, free you and give you a freedom like nothing else can. And there's more than just these three ways that it frees us. That's just, you know, it's definitely not exhaustive. That's just scratching the surface. But I'm actually going to, I'm going to call up the worship team. We're going to um, end a little bit different today, but the worship team, come on up. And then uh, I actually want to close. Um, we're going to do communion, but before we get to that, I want to close by sharing something that I heard a pastor by the name of Alistair Begg say about the criminal on the cross. Um, which this guy, he has an awesome Scottish accent, so if you want to look up a YouTube video of this later, it'll sound way cooler. And I'm not saying it word for word, but this, he gave me the idea to, to share this, so I wanted to give him credit there. But he was talking about how he can't wait. He can't wait to meet this criminal. He can't wait to actually, you know, find him in heaven and say, what was that like for you? You know, because, you know, we have this image of when you get to heaven, you stand at the gates and there's an angel there. And he said, you just imagine this criminal gets to heaven and the angel's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I don't know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and the angel is like, oh, this hasn't happened before. What do you mean you don't know? And he's like, I just don't know. 
So, so then the angel starts kind of like, okay, I guess I'll just start asking him questions. And the angel says, well, well what about, uh, do you know about the, the doctrine of, you know, salvation through faith alone? What do you think about that? And he's like, I have never heard of that. <laughs> and he's like, what do you think about the scriptures? You know, you know what's your view of the Bible? And he's you know, just blank stares. He's like, what are you talking about? So eventually, after, you know, this angel gets flustered, which I'm sure it probably never happens, but after this angel gets flustered, he looks at the criminal and says, on what basis are you here? And the criminal's response would simply be, the man on the middle cross said I could come. And that is the only answer for anyone. That is the only right answer for you and for me is that the man on the middle cross said we could come. So as we remember God's forgiveness today, remember it's only available through Jesus and in Jesus, through the man on the middle cross. And we are going to, we're going to end in communion this week. We're actually going to end in communion for the next five weeks. And um, we're going to do it a little bit different. You don't actually need to take your communion out just yet, as far as the little cup that was on your, your seat. Um, and first, I just want to say, if you're not familiar with communion, it's something that Jesus instituted in his final days here as a means by which we could remember him. He said, do this in remembrance of me, and of his body being broken, and his blood being spilled for our sake. So if you're listening or if you're here with us and you're not a Christian, first off, I just want to say, I am so glad that you're here and that you feel comfortable enough, or maybe you feel really uncomfortable, but you feel willing enough to be here with us and to listen to us talk about Jesus. And I just want you to know that there is, there is nothing that would disqualify you from calling on Jesus as your Savior too. And that's my hope for you, that you would become a Christian. But I just want to say we're glad you're here. We're glad you're listening. If you're not a Christian, please don't feel any pressure to take communion if you're not a Christian. There's no particular power in the bread or the juice by itself. It's the power is in who we're remembering. It's in Jesus. Maybe you have some sin you want to confess and bring to God. You can do that. His, the capacity of his forgiveness is enough to welcome you as you bring that sin to him. Maybe you just want to spend time reflecting and thanking God for, for the freedom you have in that, in that forgiveness. Or even just thinking through the implications of what it means to really be forgiven. And that it's not contingent on your performance. So before, uh, before I step down, I'm going to read those verses out of Psalms one more time. This is Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. My soul, praise Yahweh, and all that is within me, praise his holy name. My soul, praise the Lord, and do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your sin. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with goodness. Let's take a few minutes to reflect. And I would encourage you throughout the week to spend more than just two minutes doing that. Um, it's funny how long two minutes can feel, but maybe spend 15 minutes. I don't, know if that, I don't know if that's even possible in our day and age, but spend 15 minutes meditating on the fact this week that God forgives all your sin. Um, but if you want to take out uh, your, your bread and, uh, and your juice, we'll go ahead and do communion together. So, when Jesus, I'll, I'll give you a minute as you open that, but when Jesus was uh, with, with his disciples, whenever the first time he kind of led them in, in what we call communion nowadays, he took the bread and he said, uh, this is my body, this represents my body, which is broken for you. So as we take this together, just remember that these benefits of God that we're talking about, they're only available through Jesus. They're only available because of Jesus. So let's first take the bread together. And then Jesus, he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood that is, 
that is shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Again, forgiveness is available to all of us, but it's only available through Jesus. And he took the cup and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the juice. Let me pray for us and we'll close down today. Father, it is, uh, it's incredible how quickly we can forget things. It's incredible how we can, we can know things intellectually and yet uh, not really live as if they were true. And God, I pray that today uh, that you would just take uh, the truth of your forgiveness and you would make that as real to us as it's ever been. I pray for those of us, us who know you, that we would, we would live in the reality that, that we're, we're not accepted, we're not completed um, by anything we've done, but solely based on what you've done, and that forgiveness is available for us, um, and there's no sin bigger than your grace. And God, I would pray for those who are hearing this, who maybe don't know you, don't have a relationship with you. God, I pray that they would just uh, recognize their need for forgiveness, and that there would be the recognition that it's available, freely available through you. God, we thank you for, for the way you meet us just right where we are. We thank you for your forgiveness, how available it is. And um, thank you for the way you love us. We pray that you would grow our love for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.